As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Hello, friends. I'm Rick Warren, and welcome to Spurgeon Sermons. This is the official podcast brought to you by Premier and Spurgeon's College. You know, the teachings of Charles Spurgeon have had a personal impact on my life in a profound way, and I'm confident they'll do the same for you. So get ready to be challenged, equipped, and guided by Charles Spurgeon, who is universally regarded as the greatest English preacher in the history of the church. Christ in You, a sermon by Charles Spurgeon, part one. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians chapter one, verse 27. The gospel is the grand secret, the mystery of mysteries. It was hidden from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to the saints. To the mass of humanity, It was utterly unknown, and the chosen people who saw something of it only perceived it dimly through the smoke of sacrifices and the veil of types. It remained a mystery which cleverness could not guess nor invention unravel. It must forever have continued a secret had not God, in his infinite mercy, been pleased to reveal it by the Holy Spirit. In a still deeper sense, it is even yet a hidden thing unless the Spirit of God has revealed it to us individually. For the revelation of the gospel in the word of God does not of itself instruct people unto eternal life. The light is clear enough, but it avails nothing till the eyes are opened. Each separate individual must have Christ revealed to them and in them by the work of the Holy Spirit, or else they will remain in darkness even in the midst of gospel day. Blessed and happy are they to whom the Lord has laid open the divine secret which prophets and kings could not discover, which even angels desired to look into. Brothers and sisters, We live in a time when the gospel is clearly revealed in the word of God. And when that word has its faithful preachers lovingly to press home its teachings, let us take care that we do not despise the mystery which has now become a household word. Do not let the commonness of the blessing cause us to undervalue it. You remember how in the wilderness the Israelites fed upon angels' food until they had enjoyed it so long, so constantly and so abundantly that in their wicked discontent they called it light bread. 
I fear that many in these times are overindulged with the gospel, like those who eat too much honey. They even venture to call the heavenly word commonplace and to talk as if it were not only the old, old story, but a stale story too. Are not many hungering after novelties, longing for things original and startling, thirsting after the spiritual dram-drinking of sensational preaching, dissatisfied with Christ crucified, though he is the bread which came down from heaven? For us, let us keep clear of this folly. Let us rest content with the old food, praying from day to day, Lord, evermore give us this bread. May it never happen to us as unto the Jews of the Apostles' time, who refused utterly the word of life, so that the truth became to them a stumbling block, and those who preached it were compelled to turn to the Gentiles. If we despise the heavenly message, we cannot expect to fare better than they did. Let us not incur the danger of refusing him that speaks from heaven. If there be life, rejoice in it. If there be light, walk in it. If there be love, rest in it. If the Lord God Almighty has at length set open the treasures of his grace and put eternal bliss within your reach, stretch out the hand of faith and be enriched by it. Do not turn your backs upon your God, your Saviour, for in doing so you will turn your backs on eternal life and heaven. God grant that none of you may do this. In our text, we have in a few words that great mystery with which heaven did labour as in travail, that mystery which is to transform this poor world into new heavens and a new earth. We have it, I say, all in a nutshell in the seven words of our text. The riches of the glory of this mystery may here be seen set out to open view, Christ in you, the hope of glory. By the assistance of the Divine Spirit, I will speak upon this mystery in three ways. The essence of it is Christ. The sweetness of it is Christ in you. And the outlook of it is the hope of glory. The words read like a whole body of divinity condensed into a line. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The eternal mystery of the gospel, the essence of it is Christ. I hardly know what is the antecedent to the word which here, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Whether it is mystery or riches or glory, any one of the three words will be suitable, and all three will fit best of all. If it be the mystery, Christ is that mystery. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. If it be the word glory, 
beyond all question, our Lord Jesus wears a glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Is he not the brightness of the Father's glory? If we take the word riches, you have often heard of the unsearchable riches of Christ, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Oh, the riches of the grace of God which it has pleased the Father to impart unto us in Christ Jesus. Christ is the mystery, the riches and the glory. He is all this, and blessed be his name. He is all this among us poor Gentiles, who at first were like dogs, scarce accounted worthy to eat the crumbs from under the children's table. And yet we are now admitted into the children's place and made heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Riches of glory among the Gentiles would have sounded like a mockery in the first ages, and yet the language is most proper at this day, for all things are ours in Christ Jesus the Lord. The essence of this mystery is Christ himself. In these days, Certain would-be wise men are laboriously attempting to constitute a church without Christ and to set forth a salvation without a saviour. But their Babel building is as a bowing wall and a tottering fence. The centre of the blessed mystery of the gospel is Christ himself in his person. What a wonderful conception it was that ever the infinite God should take upon himself the nature of man. It would never have occurred to men that such a condescension would be thought of. Even now that it has been done, it is a great mystery of our faith. God and man in one person is the wonder of heaven and earth and hell. Well might David exclaim, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man, that thou visitest him. The first thought of the Incarnation was born in the unsearchably wise mind of God. It needed omnipotent omniscience to suggest the idea of Emmanuel, God with us. Think of it. The infinite, an infant. The ancient of days, a child. The ever-blessed, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The idea is original, astounding, divine. Oh, that this blending of the two natures should ever have taken place. Brothers and sisters, the heart of the gospel throbs in this truth. The son of the highest was born at Bethlehem, and at his birth, before he had wrought a deed of righteousness or shed a drop of blood, the angels sang, Glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. For they knew that the incarnation had within itself a wealth of good things for men and women. When the Lord himself took our humanity, it meant inconceivable benediction to the human race. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and in that child and son 
we find our salvation. God in our nature can mean for us nothing but joy. How favoured is our race in this respect? What other creature did the Lord thus espouse? We know that he took not up angels, but he took up the seed of Abraham. He took upon him human nature. And now the next being in the universe to God is man. He who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death is this day crowned with glory and honour and made to have dominion over all the works of Jehovah's hands. This is the gospel indeed. Do not sinners begin to hope? Is there one in your nature who is light of lights, very God of very God, and do you not perceive that this must mean good to you? Does not the word made flesh, dwelling among humanity, arouse hope in your hearts and lead you to believe that you may yet be saved? Certainly, the fact of there being such a union between God and man is the delight of every regenerated mind. Our Lord's person is at this day constituted in the same manner. He is still God and man. Still he can sympathise with our humanity to the full, for he is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. And yet... He can help us without limit, seeing he is equal with the Father. Though manifestly divine, yet Jesus is nonetheless human. Though truly man, he is nonetheless divine. And this is a door of hope to us, a fountain of consolation which never ceases to flow. When we think of our Lord, we remember with his person the glorious work which he undertook and finished on our behalf. Being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of sinful flesh because we had failed in our service and could not be saved unless another fulfilled the service on our behalf. The heir of all things girded himself to be among us as one that served. What service was his? How arduous, how humble, how heavy, how all-consuming. His was a life of grief and humiliation, followed by a death of agony and scorn. Up to the cross, he carried all our burdens, and on the cross he bore that we might never bear his Father's righteous wrath. Oh, what has Christ not done for us? He has cast our sins into the depths of the sea. He has taken the cup which we ought to have drunk forever, and he has drained it dry and left not a dreg behind. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. And now he has finished transgression, made an end of sin and brought in everlasting righteousness and gone up to his father's throne within the veil, 
bearing his divine offering and making everything right and safe for us, that by and by we may follow him and be with him where he is. Oh yes, brothers and sisters, Christ's person and finished work are the pillars of our hope. I cannot think of what he is and what he has done and what he is doing and what he will yet do without saying he is all my salvation and all my desire. Thank you for listening, friends. This podcast was brought to you by Premier in association with Spurgeon's College. For more Christian podcasts, sermons, and music, head back to the website premier.plus and sign in for free.